Good morning, this is Denna Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling, where we explore the lives of people who've been called to various types of ministries in their churches and in their communities. Today we're here with Jerry Huffman, and Jerry is the pastor at the Monterey First Baptist Church. Jerry, tell us what time your services starts. On Sunday mornings, we have a Bible study at 945 and worship at 11 and 6 on Sunday nights. Uh, during the week, we have um, a huge emphasis on prayer, and so on Wednesday nights at 6.30, we meet and simply pray the whole time. Wonderful. So if you're in the Monterey area and looking for a church, Monterey First Baptist Church is there for you Sundays and Wednesdays. Go see the good uh, Pastor Jerry Huffman. Check them out. Introducing you to local church and community leaders, The Calling. We're glad you're here this morning. Tell us a little bit about where you're from. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Appreciate your invitation. Uh, I grew up in Kentucky. I was the son of a Baptist preacher, which means we moved a lot. Yes. About every two or three years, we were somewhere new, but in Kentucky most of my life growing up. And I left to go to the seminary after being called to preach and ended up staying in Texas for about 11 years pastoring. (laughs) And then I went back to Kentucky and pastored and now I'm in Monterey. You know, Kentucky's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if, if people have never visited there, they may not be able to sort of picture how beautiful it is. But mm-hmm. Kentucky, there are places that are picturesque, oh, for yeah. lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Did you have a favorite area or part of Kentucky that you lived in? Well, I, I think central Kentucky is probably the most beautiful in terms of terrain, Um the Queen of England, I think, loves that area. And, yes, and I've has, heard that as well. Yeah, mentioned that it reminds her of England and Ireland, which I think probably was part of the draw for people immigrating to that area. My heart is in eastern Kentucky. That's where I was at during my high school years. And okay. I think central Kentucky is the most beautiful, but my heart is with the people of eastern Kentucky. Do you ride horses? My wife is an absolute horse fanatic. She. What's your wife's name? Carol. Hi, Carol. (laughs) Carol worked for a horse farm for a lot of years there in Lexington, and she's still a horse fanatic, and uh, so she really gets into it. She's more of the horseman than I am. I kind of do it to support her. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. What were you like in high school? Well, in high school, I was uh, really shy. Uh, I enjoyed sports. I played ball from the time I was in the fifth grade, and through high school and had the opportunity to um, play ball in college. Yeah, basketball? Yes. Yeah. And um, even though I think baseball was probably my best sport, I had the most offers in basketball. Yeah. Um, you can't see on the radio, but Jerry's quite tall. How tall are <laughs> I'm you, six five. There you yeah. go. So, yeah. yeah, they wanted you on the court, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it, but I just really felt like, there was something else for my life, even though I had those opportunities. And uh, so I kind of took a different direction. Yeah, yeah. So tell us, where'd you go to college? I went to the University of the Cumberlands in okay. Williamsburg, Kentucky. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I find it interesting when, when I think of Kentucky, I think a lot of people think of horse races mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Did you ever go to a steeplechase or derby or anything like that? Well, I never wanted to go to the derby because uh, of the crowd. I can't imagine. And, yeah, I just didn't want to get into the crowd. But we did, uh, our horses actually did harness racing. Oh, okay. And so we went quite often to the harness racing 
there at the Red Mile, mm-hmm. as well as other places. Tell folks what harness racing is. Well, harness racing, uh, there's two different types of, um, of gates that the horses have. There's trotters and there's pacers, and that's the difference in gates. And um, they have a um, cart that they pull with the driver. Instead of the driver riding on the horse, they're riding behind on a small cart. Yeah. I, I think that would be fun. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah I love it. Somewhat like a terrier ride. It is, yeah. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I tried to get tickets once to the Kentucky Derby. I waited a little bit too late, and I was astonished at the ticket price. It was $10,000 per ticket. Unless you're on Millionaire Row and it's more. That was a bit out of my price range (laughs) at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So then you went to uh, Texas. Did you enjoy living in Texas? I did, yeah. I graduated from the University of the Cumberlands back then. I'm I'm old enough that it was to Cumberland College when I graduated. Okay, all right. And so I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, to study. And while I was there, a church in East Texas called me as pastor in, near Corsicana. And after I graduated from the seminary, uh, the Lord opened up an opportunity for me in Fort Worth, which was down the road from the seminary. And I said, Lord, don't you kind of have this backwards? It would have been nice to have been in Fort Worth. Uh, during the seminary instead of driving 200 miles a day but yeah. that was sweet and uh and then i pastored north of fort worth in denton texas i love texas there's a lot of wonderful people there and i just i enjoyed the atmosphere texas is beautiful too and texas has great food absolutely if you are a foodie and yeah. you haven't visited texas you must oh yeah they it's not pork barbecue there you want Mm-mm. brisket in texas yes yeah. yes absolutely there's there's nothing better than going to a, a cattle yard oh yeah, yeah i <laughs> pastored not dinner. far from cowtown when yeah. i was oh there. really yeah. wow i bet you ate good i did yeah Wow. You know, that's a that's an ideal job, Betty. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you get fed spiritually, yeah. physically. There you go. <laughs> I'm Denna Hornby. You're listening to The Calling. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Denna Hornby. We're back. You're listening to The Calling, and we're here this morning with... Dr. Jerry Huffman, he's the pastor at Monterey First Baptist Church. And Jerry, you were telling me a little bit there on break about your call into ministry, and you have a fascinating story. How Mm -hmm. did God start nudging your heart Mm -hmm. to bring you into the pulpit, telling the world about God? Yeah, but you know, when I was in high school, I I really thought seriously about playing ball in college. And I thought, well, I'll go to college, play ball, uh, get a degree, maybe secondary education, be a coach or something of that nature, uh, and had some really nice offers. Uh, the best offer I had was Tennessee, by the way. I grew up hating Tennessee because I lived in Kentucky. Yeah, because you're a Kentucky boy. And then when I was about to come out of high school, um, my coach talked to Ray Mears at Tennessee, and, they, and Kentucky wouldn't even speak to me. Yeah, and, yeah. And when I had opportunity with Tennessee, um, I thought, you know, these people aren't as dumb as I thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> it changed me. But I, I felt in high school even that uh, I felt that maybe God wanted to do something. I had no idea. My dad was a pastor. My brother was a pastor. My sister at that time was a missionary in Japan. My other sister married a pastor. So I didn't want, I've always kind of had that edge of me that I didn't want to be like everybody else. Right. 
So I didn't want to be like everybody else in my family. But I, I did feel like God wanted to do something. And I actually graduated from high school a year early. Okay. And I get to college, and I uh, went through my first semester of college. And uh, this guy came to me. He, he was just this real crude guy. Those and, are some of my favorite people. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> and, and we're still friends, by the way. <laughs> but this dude really crude. And he came to me, and he said, Jerry, what are you going to do with your life? He said, you've gone through college for a semester. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what you're going to major in. What are you going to do? And I mean, I felt like somebody stuck me in the back with a knife. Right. I said, I don't know, Larry, but I'm going to find out. So I started praying. And and the last thing I want to do is be a preacher because everybody else was. Right. So I prayed and just wasn't getting answers. And I thought, well, you know, what if God does want me to be a pastor? So I went to my dad one weekend, and I didn't tell anybody what I was praying because I didn't want anybody to think I was doing it because everybody else was doing it. Right. I wanted everybody to know it was God. Right. So I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, how does somebody know that God's calling them to preach? And he said, you know, I don't know if I have a real good answer to that, but he said, I've always believed that if God calls somebody to preach, he'll give them a message and a place to deliver that message. That's right. So I went back to college that week, and I just prayed that every day. Uh, God, I don't really want to be a preacher, but if that's what you want, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. And I'm telling my age now, but back in those days, we had these boxes hanging on the wall of the dorm in the hallway called telephones. What? Yeah, that was the old days. Back in the day. You even had to put money in it just to talk to you. Did you have to turn yeah, something Yeah, absolutely. To make it go? Some big circle. What? So somebody came to me and said, you've got a phone call in the hallway. So I go out to the phone, and there's a pastor in Tennessee, uh, La Follette, Tennessee, and he said, Jerry, God put it on my heart to ask you to come and preach at our church. And I said, Greg, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. He said, well, God, God laid it on me to ask you to preach. So the next day I go to school, and there's one of the students, pastors, that came up to me and said, Jerry, uh, I'd like to ask you to preach at our church. I said, I'm not a preacher. And he said, well, God put it on me to ask you to preach for us. And that night I got a phone call from another pastor who said the same thing, and I said, okay, Lord, I think I'm getting the idea. Coming through loud and clear, Loud God. and clear. <laughs> And so uh, I went back home, talked to my dad some more, and sure enough, I went in front of the church that week and made it public that I felt God was calling me to preach. I immediately started preaching. I made that decision on a Sunday. Thursday night, the crude guy yes. took me to a church, and I preached for the first time. That's awesome. Uh, I preached for 10 minutes, I think, and the, and I remember the sermon what was the, your scripture? The title was, What Shall I Do With Jesus? And it was talking about Herod rejecting Jesus and for his crucifixion. Yeah. And uh, it was a terrible outline that would never do well in seminary class. Right. But the question was, what shall I do with Jesus? And the outline was Pilate's choice and your choice. And then at the end, I quoted a uh, song, What Shall I Do With Jesus? Mutual, you cannot be. And one day your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? That was my sermon. It took like 10 minutes. It's beautiful. And uh, so I preached that Sunday uh, yeah. to over 700 people in Huntington, West Virginia. And from then on, um, I started traveling a lot, preaching a lot of revival meetings. As a college student, I was traveling to 
Ohio, West Virginia, Michigan, Tennessee, wow. all over the country preaching uh, just every week uh, revivals. And I even started a ministry and a housing project there in Williamsburg where we had I couldn't preach on Sundays because I was traveling. So right. on Tuesday nights, I would take a group of students with me and we'd go to the housing project and have a worship service. And it was the beginning of a church. So that's awesome. That was in college. And my last semester of college, I preached every night. I actually had to take off one night to go to graduation. (laughs) And then I had 10 consecutive weeks of revival scheduled around West Virginia that summer. Wow, you were were working hard. I was working hard, and I learned a great lesson. I was preaching in Memphis, Tennessee uh, for Frazier in Frazier. Memphis. Mm -hmm. And um, this pastor told me, he said, Jerry, you need to slow down. And I was kind of a smart aleck. And I said, well, pastor, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Oh, and he looked. Yeah, well, he looked at me and he said, yeah, but either way, you're out. Oh, and so I learned a lesson of balance uh, from that. That that wise old pastor smacked me real good with my smart aleck response and you know that tends to happen it does doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) but i love his wisdom and him and uh so i've tried to learn more about balance since then we have to care for ourselves yeah absolutely so then i go to texas uh to the seminary and um found some real good tutors my uh uh, jimmy draper who was president of southern baptist convention became my pastor there when i first got to texas and he was uh still a dear friend of mine and uh, God called me to a church uh, as pastor in East Texas. Our claim to fame was we had more members than population. <laughs> and there's not too many people that can say that in their church. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. The population of our town was 200, yes. and we had 250 members in our church. I don't know how you did it, brother, but that's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> and uh, one year, uh, I, I like to get out and meet people in the community, and I got out and tried to meet everybody in town. I counted five unchurched people in the un- entire town, and that year we baptized three times that many Isn't that with amazing? more members than population. So I can't figure out how that happened except to say God did it. Yeah, and people yeah. telling their story and, yeah, and inviting friends and, yeah. and sharing. That's important. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. And we went from there to uh, Fort Worth after I graduated from the seminary. I began pastoring in Fort Worth, Texas, and God began to bless that church. And we were growing and seeing a lot of good things happen. And we had to build on to the church, and we renovated the area and uh, yeah. Did some great things, and uh, God blessed. And uh, after I had been there for a little while, three years, um, (laughs) it sounds like my dad, I was there three years, and a church in Denton, Texas called me as pastor. And uh, during that time, uh, just some bad things were happening. It it was, uh, I was going through some difficulties at home. And uh, so uh, after a while, uh, you know, it, it had kind of been private for quite some time. Right. Uh, and after a while, it began to uh, get public. Right. That's hard. <laughs> it is. And so I, I would like to think I had enough integrity to resign to save the church because I did not want the subject of the church to be me. I wanted it to be the Lord. Right. So I felt the best thing to do was for me to be out of the way and let the emphasis be on the Lord. And so I did resign the church. And I spent a couple of years without pastoring during that time. And uh, then a church in Kentucky called me as pastor. Home. 
I went, but my dad had in the meantime been diagnosed with um, colon cancer, and so it was a great opportunity for me to go back home, be with my dad in these last years, and I went to pastor this church, and um, the problems that I had at home continued. Uh, finally, one day, my uh, I left that church um, discouraged. It was difficult, and uh, finally, my wife came to me one day and said that uh, she found someone else that she wanted to live with, and so she moved out and moved in with her boyfriend. And those were very dark and difficult days for me. I think the probably the most difficult part of living that is that people that I thought were my friends were no nowhere to be found. Uh, criticisms were pretty heavy instead of love. Right. And uh, there was a lot of things said that were not true. Right. And uh, so it, it was just a very difficult time for me. And people can be mean. And, you know, I understand that. I get that. And all of us have probably faced things of that nature in church. Uh, I know that through the years I've had people to come to me and say, you know, we can't go to this church we've been in because we've been divorced. And and I don't understand that. It's because too bad, Yeah, isn't it? it is yeah. because I thought that's what we were. You know, yeah. I, I always try to emphasize in our church that, we're not a showcase for saints. We're a hospital for sinners. We're all broken. We're all broken. And so I thought I would never pastor again. And matter of fact, I made that statement. But this church, I, I, I became a police officer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are you packing right now? I can't tell. We're oh, on the radio. Okay. You cannot disclose that information. <laughs> a police officer. I wow. did. I became a police officer. And um, and while serving at uh, our department, I I had an opportunity to go to a, a larger police department, which I did. When I went there, there was a church in that community that asked me to preach for them, and I did that, and they said, we would like to call you as our pastor. And I said, no, I, I'll fill in till you get somebody, but I won't pastor. And they said, well, we think you should be our pastor. And I said, no, I won't be the pastor. Well, they, they held a business meeting and voted me in as pastor. Oh, wow. And I never officially said yes. <laughs> But they called me their pastor for five years. There you go. And while I was pastoring that church, uh, I met Carol, and um, she was the church clerk. Okay. And uh, and I I've always said the only thing that would have been better is if she had been the treasurer. But that's there you another go. story. There you go. But we uh, we honestly were just friends for quite a while, and I'm I'm serious when I say that because I know a lot of people tease me about that. But honestly. The first several months we knew each other, we were friends. And then one Sunday on, on December 17th near Christmas, our church decided to have a meal after the morning service, and then we were going to go Christmas caroling that evening. Yes. So during the meal, uh, Carol and I just sat down and started talking to each other, and both of us, it was like a light switch came on. Both of our feelings changed from friendship to a little mo more than friendship, I love just, it. It's a Christmas miracle. Yeah, it was a Christmas miracle. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, and so the God of all creation is we, still creating. Hey, I went to church that evening. We were on Christmas Carol, and she was at the church, and I knew she was in love with me because <laughs> she was the first one there, and normally she was the last. So I said, well, I, I've got her. You she, gave it away, Carol. Yeah. You blew your cover. <laughs> so uh, we went Christmas caroling that night and had a big time, and, and long story short, Carol and I got married, and she's just an amazing person. Um, I want to say that 
that in regards to Carol, that people who don't know her, um, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and the doctor said she wouldn't live a month. And uh, my whole world was falling apart because finally I had found someone that loved me and finally um, someone that I was attached to very deeply. And when she was diagnosed to die within a month, it was just absolutely devastating on me. And so um, we prayed and went through it. It was a terrible situation that absolutely changed the way I passed her, by the way, because before I would go to the patient and grieve for them, and I discovered from experience that normally on these illnesses, it's not the patient that has the deepest emotions, it's the caregiver. Yes. And so now I make a beeline to the caregivers because they're grieving so deeply. And so um, we went through that, and we went to her doctor recently, and he told me, he said, you know, your wife is blowing my mind. And I said, how's that? And he said, I didn't think she'd live a month. He said, that was stretching it. And I'm talking about a great doctor. This guy teaches the subject matter at the University of Kentucky Medical School. Right. So he knows what he's talking about. So he says, I didn't think she'd live a month. And I said, well, Dr. Eulen, I said, you'll recall that when we started this journey, you told me that... You could give us the medical diagnosis, but that doesn't mean that's the way it's going to be. He said, I remember that. And I said, I, I took it you were saying God had the final say. And he said, that's what I meant. I said, then God has spoken. <laughs> Ten years has passed, and she is doing well. But I also, uh, back to where I, when I was pastoring the church she grew up in, um, and we got married and, and just were extremely happy. And I had an opportunity to go to the police academy uh, as an instructor, and we were a police academy for the entire Commonwealth of Kentucky. So I went there, um, ended up being the supervisor over basic training, did tactical training with the SWAT teams, and had a great job there. But it took us away from Georgetown to Richmond. So when I get to Richmond, there is a church there that asked me to fill in for them. And so I said, I'll fill in for you. And they said, we would like for you to be the pastor. And I said, I'll fill in for you till you get a pastor, but I won't be the pastor. And so um, they came to me three times with that. I said, no. And finally, the third time, they said, Pastor, we think you need to pray about this. We believe this is (laughs) what God wants. Tell your pastor to pray. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So I did did a lot of heart heart searching. And uh, sure enough, I felt then that God wanted me to. And I, I pastored there for 14 years. It was a phenomenal ministry that grew just unbelievable. Uh, the way God blessed that ministry and it grew so much. And uh, we were blessed. And then uh, this year, First Baptist Monterey asked me to come as pastor. And I moved in the end of April and began the first of May. And that's where we're at today, but wow. it's amazing how God takes what comes into our lives. And uh, A.W. Tozer said that it's doubtful that God can use a man greatly till he's first hurt him deeply. And and God takes our wounds, and God takes our pain, and God breaks us and humbles us and puts us in a position of total dependence upon him. And uh, we don't have plan A or plan B. We just have total dependence on him. And uh, so that's, that's kind of what brought me to where I'm at. What a beautiful call story. I'm Dana Hornby. You're listening to The Calling, and we'll be back in a moment. 
I'm Denna Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling. We're here this morning with Jerry Huffman from Monterey First Baptist Church, and Jerry would like to share a motivational moment. Well, I'd just like to say that um, when I was called to preach as in college, I was very fortunate to meet up with a group of young preachers that were just absolutely fanatics about the Lord, and that helped me a lot. And we began to spend time in prayer. We would pray most of the night. And back in those days, I could stay up all night because I was younger, but uh, it'd be hard now. But we would, um, of course, there's a little bit of a, it wasn't that we were so godly that we were staying up till three or four in the morning every night, but it was because at our college, the girls had a curfew and they, they had to be in at 11, but the boys did not have to be, which didn't seem fair to them. So we would take our girlfriends back to the dorm by 11, and then we would meet after that for prayer meetings. But we would we would pray a lot and spend quite a bit of time in prayer after that and um, go out on the streets and share the gospel. And so those guys had a huge influence on me. And I began to read a lot about great people of prayer and faith, uh, John Hyde, John Knox, uh, I would read about A.W. Tozer's writings and whoever I could get my hands on that wrote on prayer or revival. I love to read, and I still do to this day. And um, I carry a, um, a sheet of paper with me constantly. I had a friend who, um, when I was a young pastor in Texas, uh, John McKay, used to sing in crusades, and I had him to come and sing at our church. And he walked into my office before the service, and he handed me this piece of paper and said, hang on to this, and I read it almost daily. Uh, but it's it's called Others May, You May Not, and it was written by a guy named G.D. Watson. But, but in that, I won't read the whole thing because it's kind of long, but in that statement, it, he speaks about how that when God has called you to be like Christ in all your spirit, that he's going to draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility and put on you such demands of obedience that he'll not allow you to follow other Christians. And in many ways, he will seem to let other good people do things which he will not let you do. Uh, others can brag on themselves, their work, their success, their writings, but the Holy Spirit will not allow you to do any such thing. And if you begin it, he'll lead you into some deep mortification that will make you despise yourself and all your good works. And he goes on speaking about uh, how that God will not allow. And I've taken that, God was speaking to me through that, that you know, a lot of my friends are very famous, a lot of my friends... Even some I went to school with, or if if I mentioned some of my friends, it would sound like I was name dropping. So I won't do that. But God has not allowed me to be that way. He has called me to a life of quiet obscurity with Him, to walk with Him, and I love that because it is a special time to just be alone with Him and love on Him. And I recently went back and reread the life of David Livingston, which. It's such a great, great message. You know, David Livingston originally wanted to go to China as a missionary, but God shut all the doors and wouldn't let him go. And he heard a speaker speaking about Africa, and the man, while he was speaking, said that there's smoke from a thousand villages rising in the hills of Africa that have never heard the gospel. And David Livingston 
was stricken by that, and he felt a calling of God to go to Africa. And he went there, and, and while he was out one day, he was attacked by a lion, and the lion bit him on the shoulder, which left him for the rest of his life with a limp arm. And um, David Livingston met the daughter of the guy that was caring for him when he got bit by the lion, ended up marrying her, and they had children. And uh, his children died in – he had a child that died in Africa, and his wife ended up dying. Uh, he was leathery-skinned, they say, because of he was out in the heat a lot. He had had fever a lot from illnesses. But he was a, a great godly man. And when he was young, he had written a prayer in his diary that means a lot to me, and I try to practice these principles. But he wrote three things down in his diary. He said, first of all, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Secondly, he said, lay any burden on me, only sustain me. And thirdly, he said, sever any ties but the tie that binds me to thy service and to thy heart. And I love what David Livingston had to say, but he would get out and preach the gospel to these villages to the point where he was just physically had a hard time doing it. And the editor of the major newspaper in New York sent a man there uh, to hunt him down because he had heard of his illness. So this gentleman goes to Africa, and he's looking for him. And David Livingston was walking down a trail with some of his uh, native friends, and there was an, a, a white man coming up the trail from the other direction. So he knew the guy was from the U.S. We could tell by looking because he's in Africa. <laughs> So the guy walks up, and he sees David Livingston, and he says the famous words, David Livingston, I presume. And sure enough, uh, this fellow came to try to talk David Livingston into coming back to New York. David Livingston refused. This man called himself a swaggering atheist, and he stayed with David Livingston for four months and begged him to come back to New York, and Livingston wouldn't do it. And he said that after being with David Livingston, he said, I've never seen anyone like him. He is so full of love, and he's so full of understanding and graciousness and hospitality. And this man who called himself a swaggering atheist committed his life to Jesus Christ and ended up going back to New York. And David Livingston kept going to the villages preaching. And finally, he got so bad that the natives were carrying him on a cot to these villages so that he could preach, laying on a cot. And he got worse, and they got to the point where they just couldn't take him anymore. And so they built a hut to protect him from the wild animals because he was dying. And the man who was guarding the door of this hut one day said that he heard some sound inside the hut, so he stuck his head in to see, and Livingston had rolled out of his bed and was on his knees praying. And so over a period of a few hours, four hours as a matter of fact, the guy didn't hear anything, so he checked again, and David Livingston was on his knees with his face in his hands, and he had died. He had died while he was praying to the Lord. And, and I look at the lives of people like that, you know, who really get it as to what it's all about to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to understand that... Uh, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus, 
And we get off on a lot of different things. We get focused on things that take us in the wrong directions, and we get focused on things that distract us from what is most important. And I try in my life, because of the experiences I have had personally and because as a police officer I went to places that I would have never gone any other way, you know, the bars, the projects, uh, the worst of the worst uh, I would be with, and my preaching changed in the sense that I, that I uh, I'm not just preaching to people about something I read or heard, but something I've seen and experienced. And so my cry in preaching uh, is not for people to be more religious. It's to be to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the priority is not our government of the church. The priority is not our positions in the church. Our priority is to understand that one that is out there hurting and broken and went to bed last night and cried themselves to sleep in the pillow. And that's the focus that I think that all of our hearts should have. And sometimes God has to break us first to get us to see the brokenness in the lives of other people. And and that's where I'm coming from as a pastor, to try to lead our people to see our community with a broken heart. Amen. Thank you. I'm Dana Hornby, and you're listening to the. I'm Dana Hornby, and you're listening to the calling. We're here with Jerry Huffman from Monterey First Baptist Church. And Jerry, this is my favorite part of the show because I get to ask you all sorts of questions. Wow. Yeah, and and you have to answer. Okay. <laughs> I can't <laughs> you, defer it. <laughs> there is grace for you, though. Is there a There's, phone a friend or there anything? Is, you get to plead the fifth on one of them. <laughs> okay. All right? So uh, here we go. What is your most used emoji? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, probably laughing. Laughing. You yeah. send that to Carol, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, very good. Okay, uh, second, if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, Mm -hmm. who would that be? And you can't say Jesus because that's the preacher answer. Yeah. So any three people. Well, you know, uh, I know this is controversial, but (laughs) I always loved Ronald Reagan. And uh, I got to meet him once when I was a a young pastor. I worked for for a nationally known preacher who had Ronald Reagan to come and speak uh, at a rally prior to his election, and he was one of the most genuine people that I've ever paid attention to, and I'd love to sit down and speak with Reagan one-on-one. Just, what would you serve Ronald Reagan for dinner? Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. Like that's, dude, that's not macaroni and cheese. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would probably be pretty open to most things. <laughs> probably <Yeah>. so. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I like him a lot, and... Uh, I would like to I would like to sit down with some of these great men of prayer that I I've read about uh you know like George Mueller for example right. this guy never asked anybody for a penny and yet by today's standards over 4 million dollars was given to his ministry it's like my what a man of faith you know a man of god like that someone like that um um I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe one of the great army generals like Patton or MacArthur or mm-hmm. somebody like yeah. that. Because I love history and yeah, probably probably those guys. Excellent. Yeah. Who's your favorite superhero? Hmm. Well, my grandson has been making me watch the Avengers with him yes, lately. Yes. Yes. 
and uh, we went to the movie not long ago and couldn't get Carol to go, but so me and him were the only ones there. Yeah. And he's really kind of got me enjoying these. And he asks me that every time I see him because well, sure. it changes like every time we see each other, which one's his favorite. Which is his favorite today? Today, I don't know. You know, Last he, he kind of jumps around from yeah. Iron Man to, yeah. you know, now I think he wants to, to see the Black Panther because I think there's a another show out it, with yeah, him. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. If you would, uh, if you had to lose all your money. Mm-hmm. I don't have any anyway. But. Or, <laughs> yeah, we're preachers, yeah. right? You work for the church. You don't go into it for the money. Um, but if you had to lose all your money mm-hmm. or all of your pictures, mm-hmm. what would you lose? Money? Uh, that's a choice? Yeah, you could run in. Let's say, you know, there's a tornado coming. Mm-hmm. You see it down the street. You can run in and you can save. All your money or all your pictures, what do you pull out? You know, interesting enough, uh, I absolutely adored my grandmother who died on my 16th birthday. Oh, gosh. And, and absolutely adored her. She she influenced me probably as much or more as anybody in my life. Uh, she used to sit and read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and lost count at 28 times of doing it. So she really influenced me to have a love for the Bible. And when she passed... We were given a choice, me and my brother and sisters were given a choice of one memorabilia from her house, and I took her photographs because uh, that was just something that I thought would maintain memories better than anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so I've thought about that since then. If we had a tornado or fire, I want to be able to grab those photographs. Now, the good news is nowadays I've got them scanned into the right. computer, yeah. so it's a little got bit them saved in the cloud. Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got them saved now where where I would be safe from a fire or tornado. But yeah, I think pictures are important because they they bring back so evoke so many memories. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not real attached to money. I mean, I appreciate it, and I've lived with it and without it. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through a period of time where I went from having quite a bit to nothing. Uh, you know, I had a brand new house and a brand new car, and I went from that to not having one. And I had a car that was given to me. The brakes didn't really work, and you could see the road, the ru- the floor of the car was so rusted oh, out. Oh my! You know, and you were driving a Flintstone mobile. I was, and you know, we. Uh, I've often said we sing the song "Christ is all I need," and sometimes He will put us in a position where He's all we got. Mm-hmm. And I ask you, can you still sing that when he's all you got? And and I, I will say from experience, I've been there where he was all I had and he is all I needed. Excellent. It's like Corey Ten Boone said, no pit is so deep that he isn't deeper still. Thank you, Jerry, for being here today and for sharing your years of ministry and for your ministry at Monterey First Baptist. Uh, we appreciate you sharing your story you. of your calling today. I, I'm honored. Thank you for asking. Each week, we'll introduce you to members of the community who follow their call to serve. I'm Denna Hornby, and this has been The Call.